0: In the name of the Father, Son, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, when we read the, the scriptures, when we study uh, any book in the Bible, typically uh, we all, always want to search for where's Christ in the scripture. Any story that we read, we should always look for um, the image of Christ, the person of Christ in, in, the, in the story. Um, <clears throat> but also we should be mindful of the enemy of Christ, Satan, because because he's usually also in the story, um, and so we want to see um, when we when we try to uh, look for the personification of Satan, we can learn a lot about his methods. We can learn about his characters, and we can learn about um, the the ways uh, that he tempts and attacks uh, the the righteous of of, of God. Um, <clears throat> so when when we look, for example, in the book of Genesis, um, what stories or, or what characters in the book of Genesis can you think of where we see like the personification of Satan? Can, can somebody yeah, yeah, uh, think of some of these uh, personifications?
1: The first one would be the serpent.
0: Yes, very good. That's the very first um, image or the very first uh, mention that we have of Satan, which is a serpent. Um, But before the serpent, before in history, not in the book because it's not mentioned in Genesis, but before uh, the mention of like the creation of Adam and Eve, there's also a reference to Satan. um and this is in, in the book of isaiah chapter 14 this is when he talks about uh Bell and um he, you know he he said i will put my throne next to the throne of god and i will be like the most high and that's how he fell so historically that is the first mention of uh, of satan but uh scripturally ser- the serpent is the first uh, mention in, in the uh, in the book of Genesis, what else, or who else can we also think would be a personification of Satan? I'd like some interaction, so if you if you would uh, unmute and and um, give me some feedback here. Anybody? so we have some other uh, personifications for example in the story of cain and abel in genesis chapter 4 we see that cain is actually or the 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 character or the um, uh, the way of cain um, is considered a personification of satan and actually Saint jude speaks about that in his epistle, the the very last epistle in the New Testament before the book of Revelation is the epistle of St. Jude. And he talks about people who have gone in the way of Cain. Um, Also, if we continue in the book of Genesis, we see the personification of Satan against the patriarchs. So the three patriarchs of, of the Israelite nation is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see Satan um, in the story of Abraham, in the king of Sodom, and actually, I'm, I'm surprised nobody, and he said Sodom as as one of the um, personifications of Satan. Of course, that was a very evil place, and it's as if Satan dwelt there. We we read this also in the book of Revelation when he speaks to the um, to the angel of the of the Church of Pergamos, and he says, "Where Satan dwells." Any place where evil is so evident and so uh, widespread is a place where Satan dwells. And Sodom and Gomorrah certainly were one of those places where Satan dwells. And we will see that <clears throat> Abraham rejected, um, rejected the, uh, the, the king of Sodom or, or rejected Satan. In the story of Isaac, his son, we will see Satan in the personification of Abimelech. And we will see that Isaac neighbored Satan or neighbored Abimelech. And in the third story, in the story of Jacob, we see Satan in the character of Laban, and we see that Jacob dwelt with him. So we see there's there's a degradation there of, of um, you know our fight or, or the, the patriarchs fight against Satan. Abraham, the the, the forefather, the the great patriarch, he was very strong, he was very powerful, he was very spiritual, he walked with Christ, he talked with God, and so it was easy for him to reject Satan. Um, Isaac was a little bit weaker than his father, and so he was, yeah, he neighbored Satan, and so we will see some of the problems that happened there. And Jacob actually was the weakest of the three and he dwelt with him and we'll see what happened there. So let's start looking at some of these stories. So if we, if we go to Genesis 14, um, the background there of the story, if you remember that Abraham and Lot came together um, and You know, God blessed Abraham very much to the point where he had so much uh, sheep and so much cattle. And by, by blessing Abraham, because Lot dwelt with Abraham, so Lot also was blessed. To the point that the land could not sustain them. And so the shepherds started to fight with each other. Like, you know, this is my well. No, this is my well. This is my sheep. No, this is my sheep. And so Abraham spoke with Lot and he told them, choose the land that you would like to go and I will go the opposite direction so that we can separate from each other and we don't keep you know, fighting over the land. And so Lot chose the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a very green land, had a lot of rivers, had a lot of pasture. So in his mind, this is good for me and good for my wealth and good for my shepherds and for my sheep. And so he went there, but the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were evil. So after a while, when, when Lot was there in, in Sodom, a war broke out. And we can, we can call this the First World War, because the world was about, you know, it, it was basically in, in the Arabian Peninsula in that area. There was nobody in Europe or Asia or anything like that. And so five kings rose up and fought against four kings. And the four kings overcame the five kings and they captured them and they captured um, the, uh, their cities and their people. One of those five kings that was captured or one of the places that was captured was the city of Sodom where Lot dwelt. And so they took Lot as a prisoner of war with them. He was captured as uh, he will become a servant um, or slave uh, to these four kings. When Abraham heard this, actually, most of us, yeah, and if we, think, if we think about it, most of us may say, well, I don't care now. He, he, he decided to separate from me. He left me. He didn't understand that the blessing was with me, Abraham. And he separated himself, and he went to live in a land that's full of sin. So why should I even care, right? But Abraham, because he is a very righteous man, he would not let this go. And so he took with him 318 shepherds. Okay, the people who live with him are shepherds. They're not soldiers, they're not an army. They don't have, you know, uh, swords and equipment and things like that. They have the tools that they use in their, uh, in their work. And so he took these 318 shepherds and he went up <clears throat> and he fought against those, those four kings. And he was victorious. Of course, this in itself is, is a miracle. How can 300 simple shepherds overcome four, you know, four armies, right? Um, but so he goes up and with, with, the, with the grace of God, he overcomes. And so he returns back with the people that he freed from these four kings. And of course, with, with Lot, his nephew, with him. So we read in Genesis chapter 14, and it says what? And the king of Sodom went out to meet him. So Abraham is coming back. And the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham on his his way back. After his return from the defeat of Shador Lomer, that's one of the kings, and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him. Okay, so... Let's just imagine the, the, the scenario here. Abraham went, he conquered, he's coming back with, um, you know, a group of people, a very large multitude, including Lot, his, his, uh, his nephew. And so the king of Sodom came up to meet him and to congratulate him on his, on his uh, victory. And then this character, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, also comes out. Okay. So what's going on here? How is Melchizedek described here? He's described as the king of Salem, and Salem means peace. Shalom in in Hebrew means peace. So he's a priest, and he's a king, right? And then he brings bread and wine. And actually, this is the very first reference in the entire scripture. We're, We're in Genesis, right? We're in the dawn of time that of, of any mention of bread and wine, all the sacrifices, you know, from the beginning from Adam and from uh, Abel were, um, you know, sheep sacrifices, were, were animal sacrifices. So where did this bread and wine come from? And then he blesses Abraham, who usually blesses whom, right? Usually the, 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 the greater blesses the lesser. Like for example, if we're, if we're in church Abuna blesses us, right? We don't bless Abuna. If, if the bishop is there, the bishop will bless Abuna and then Abuna will bless us. So the greater blesses the lesser. So here we see who's greater and who's, who's lesser. We see that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham and he blesses him, even though Abraham is, is the father of fathers. This Melchizedek is a personification of Christ. He is a high, Christ is the high priest, like Melchizedek was the priest. He is the king of peace. He offers body and blood. He offers us communion, his body and blood, and he grants us blessing. Okay. Now, where did this Melchizedek come from? And, and why is he even there? He has nothing to do with the story, right? And actually, we never hear about Melchizedek before this at all. We, we don't know where he came from. Uh, we don't know his beginning. We don't know his parents, his, his, his father, his mother. We don't know anything about him as if he's out of time. Okay. Just again, a personification of Christ. He is coming out of nowhere. He has no beginning. He has no end. And he celebrates Abraham's victory. He celebrates Abraham's victory. Um, here, Abraham passed the first test. The first test that God gave before him was, can you help the weak? Can you help somebody who needs help and, and actually somebody who does not want help, but he needs it? Right. Because here his, his, his brother or his nephew, he's the one who left him. Right. If we think Abraham also is a personification of Christ, by the way. So Lot is basically the prodigal son. He's the one who, by his choice, he left God, he left Abraham and he walked away and he bound himself to sin. He's the one who went and he sought out the place of sin, Sodom, and he dwelt there and he got himself in trouble and then he got himself captured and he got himself enslaved. And despite all of this, despite all of this arrogance and insolence, Abraham went and he saved him, right? What does St. Paul says in Galatians chapter six? Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. What is Melchizedek doing here? As we saw in the story, you know, Abraham is coming back and then the king of Sodom rises against him or, or in front of him. And then Melchizedek, as, as if we can imagine that he's kind of, he rose up in the middle between the king of Sodom and between Abraham. He's offering him protection. God, the Lord personified in Melchizedek, he's offering protection to Abraham against the sin. What is the king of Sodom doing when he came to meet Abraham? He's congratulating him, right? You did very well. You are great, you are magnificent. You did what five kings could not do. You overcame the armies with only 300 people, right? All of this is what temptation and pride, he's, he's building him up. But what does Melchizedek or what does God uh, say? He said, I am the one who made you victorious. That's why he blessed him. So he gives us victory and he gives us humility. And this is our, our daily struggle Every day we are struggling between these two kings, the king of Sodom and the king of of, of, uh, uh, Salem. We are struggling between Satan and we are struggling between um, Christ. Satan wants to tempt us and Christ wants to help us. Let's see what what, uh, the king of Sodom said to Abraham. This is very important. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, or Abram was his name at that point, give me the persons. And actually, in the Septuagint translation, it's give me the souls. Give me the souls and take the goods for yourself. Give me the souls. Abraham here is the liberator, like Christ. He is the king, right? He freed all those people, so they belong to him. He is their redeemer. Satan wants to steal those souls, and so he tempts Abraham with mammon. He tempts him with money. He's like, give me the souls, give me the people, and you can take everything. You can take the gold, you can take the sheep, you can take um, the, 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 the garments, you can take whatever utensils you found um, in the camp. Just give me the people, give me the souls. Um, and He's not satisfied with our victory over the struggle. This is exactly the temptation that Satan tempted the Lord Christ with, right? He told him what, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Give me the souls and I will give you all, this, all these things. And of course, Christ rebuked him and, and, and overcame him. Christ purchases the souls with his blood. And Satan wants to steal the souls in exchange for earthly pleasures. He tells us, it's okay. You can have some fun. You can do this. You can do that. Enjoy yourself. This is the mammon. This is the goods. And then he wants to steal the soul. He wants to take the soul. So what was Abraham's response to the king of Sodom? It's very nice. He said, I have raised my hand to the Lord. What does the raising of the hand mean? Prayer, right? So he's saying, I am praying to God, I'm talking to God, because he understood that Melchizedek was the image of God, the image of Christ. I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing. I will take what? Nothing. From a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. Abraham understood that he's in the presence of God, okay? He is standing before the Lord. He is standing before Melchizedek, the personification of Christ. And so all of these things that that Satan, the king of Sodom, is whispering in his ear, he's like, what are you talking about? Give me the souls and take the goods. What goods? I don't care about any goods. You are, you know, bothering me with all these petty things of earth when I'm standing before God. I don't care about these things. I don't want anything from you. He said, what? I will not take anything that is yours. I don't want anything that belongs to you. I don't want anything that belongs to Satan. Melchizedek had just blessed him, right? And he gave him bread and wine. Basically, Abraham just took communion, right? And so he does all of these things don't matter to him. He doesn't need anything from Satan. He is in the presence of God. He's praying. Like like David says in the Psalm, you are my portion, O Lord. And he also says, there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. I am in the presence of God. I don't want to be bothered by Satan and um, by, by what he wants to offer to me. My wealth and my blessing is from the Lord. Lest you should say what I have made abram rich i don't want to take anything from satan because then you're going to come and enslave me and say i gave you this no i don't want anything from you i'm taking everything from uh, from the lord so what was the reward for this what was the reward for this this by the way is the struggle between god and satan that we go go through every single day of our life right prayer versus temptation god tells you pray Come stand before me. And Satan comes and says, do these other things which are more fun. Communion versus mammon. God says, come, eat my flesh, drink my blood, live with me. And Satan says, I'll give you these things. If you you forget about church and go do these other things, you'll have more fun. Heavenly gifts versus earthly gifts. This is the struggle that we go through every day. So what is the reward of the struggle? or the the reward of overcoming. The reward here is the vision of God or the visitation of God. What does it say in the very next verse in, in chapter 15? Chapter 15, verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Why? Because after a while, Satan may come and whisper in the, in, the, in the ear of Abraham and say, look, you squandered the chance, right? You had all of these people, all of their possessions, all of their sheep, all of their money, you could have taken for yourself, but you squandered the opportunity. But when the Lord comes and says, I am your reward, then I put that next to this temptation and say, if I have the Lord, I don't need all of these things. God whispers in our ear, do not fear, I am your reward. If you remember the story of Elijah, the prophet and Gehazi, his, uh, his disciple, when Naaman, the, the Syrian leader came and cause he had leprosy and Elisha told him to go uh, dip in the Jordan seven times and he came back and he was healed. And so Naaman came back to Elijah and he was very happy. And he, he had many gifts with him. He says, whatever you want, take, right? And Elijah said, I don't want anything. It's the same, you know, the same response that Abraham said, I don't want anything. I have God, I don't need anything. But Gehazi, his disciple who was greedy, he went after Naaman and said, "You know, please give us some silver and some garments and stuff like that. That's why after that incident, Gehazi was not a disciple of Elijah anymore. And actually the leprosy that was on Naaman So instead of receiving a blessing, he received a curse and he he became sick with that leprosy. Those who understand, you know, that the presence of God and the value of having God in their life, they do not care about all of these uh, futile things. That's what Abraham did here. He rejected Satan. He rejected the temptation. And he said, my portion is the Lord. I don't need anything. And the Lord told him, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So from this first story, we learn some characteristics of Satan. We learn that he is the king of sin. He is the the head of sin. He is the tempter. He always wants to tempt us. He despises our victories. Anytime that we are victorious against sin, then he's very angry and and he hates that. He always offers us things like pride and mammon in exchange for the soul. So he is the soul's thief. If we go into the second story, this now we're jumping to Genesis 26. Now we are in the story of Isaac, the son of Abraham. The background of the story is, is that there is a famine in the land. But actually, the, the scripture never mentions that there's a famine with Isaac. Why? Because Isaac is blessed, like his father Abraham was blessed. So even though there's a famine around him, he himself was not blessed. But Isaac was afraid that this famine may affect him. So, what did he do? And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down. Actually, the whole verse is do not go down to Egypt. But I want to I focus on this word do not go down. Yes, you know, geographically, if you're going from, from Palestine to Egypt or even from Palestine to Gerar, you are going south. But the word here, do not go down, means do not, you know, leave the grace of God, do not leave the blessing of God and go down to seek help elsewhere. But Isaac left the place of God, the place of his father, Abraham, and he did go down and he went down to uh, Gerar to Abimelech. So what happened? And the men of the place asked about his wife and he said, she is my sister satan envies our blessing he sees something nice that we have and he's hovering around to try to take it this by the way is the same exact mistake that his father abraham did it's exactly the same story if you read these two stories you would you would say that you know moses when he wrote he just copy pasted and he changed the name from abraham to isaac he went down the people looked at his wife she saw, they saw that she was beautiful. He was afraid. He said, say, you are my sister. And then Abimelech took her and um, uh, tried to take her as his wife. And then God appeared to him and he, tell, he told him, you let her go because she's his wife. So God protected him and blessed him. Exactly what happened with Abraham, with the same results, with the same protection that God offered. But what happened? If we continue the story. So the Philistines envied him. Okay, that's another character that we see here of Satan, envy. So the Philistines envied him and envied Isaac. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Leave. We don't want you. We don't want you here. And this is the envy of the devil. Actually, we are much more stronger than him with the power of God. We are much more stronger than Satan, and he fears us. But many times we are afraid to use the power of God. We are afraid to uh, use His strength, and so He can He 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 overcomes us and He makes us fall into temptation. But Satan is afraid of God's blessing, and He's afraid of us. Actually, um, in in one of the um, church fathers, uh, I believe it was um, Saint Matthew the Poor, uh, Father Matthew the Poor. He said, "You cannot fight God. Uh, sorry, you cannot fight Satan." You are not strong enough to fight Satan. So how do you defeat Satan? You hide behind God. You hide behind Christ. And he's the one who fights Satan for you. And of course, he can overcome him. So in order for us to overcome Satan, we need to use or tap into the power of God. And then the story continues. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found the well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. And he moved from there and dug another well. And this repeats a few times. Isaac goes, he digs a well. The the people say, hey, this is our land, so this must be our well. And Isaac's like, fine, you you can keep it. And then he goes and he digs another well. Same thing happens. They come and they say, this is our well, fine. You can keep it. Isaac was a man of peace. He was not a man of quarreling. He he didn't feel like fighting over wells, right? And the digging of wells here represents virtues working on the virtues. So as as we continue to um, uh, establish or to work on our virtues, Satan comes and fights with us over these virtues. But the point here is that Isaac did not give up. He continued to dig wells, dig wells, dig wells until finally you know, the, the, the Philistines left him alone and he, uh, he used that well. So don't give up if Satan comes and he's trying to steal your virtue and he's trying to fight with you against your virtue. And then towards the end of the story, we see the, the real feelings of Satan or the real feelings of Abimelech here. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar, and Isaac said to them, Abimelech and the people who came with him, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? This is Satan's true feelings towards mankind. He hates us because we took his place in, in paradise. We took his place in heaven. We read in Revelation chapter 12 and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. This is the hatred of Satan, that he wants to not just kill, he wants to devour, he wants to eat, he wants to completely consume. And so here, as Isaac told him, why did you come since you hate me i know that you hate me and you've sent me away why do you keep bothering me why do you keep coming to me in the in the liturgy of sam basil we pray saying what death which entered into the world by the envy of the devil you have destroyed so from the story of isaac and from the person of Abimelech, we can learn a few more characteristics of satan we learned that he takes advantage of any nearby trouble he, he senses you know he, it's like a dog who's going around sniffing sniffing as soon as he sniffs something he's going to jump on it so he senses that there may be something troublesome going on he jumps on it and he tries to take advantage of it he envies the blessing any blessing that we have his envies of it and he wants to take it away he fights virtues any virtues that we are working on he's going to fight don't expect that for example, you say, okay, I'm going to try to attain the virtue of peace or calmness. Do you think Satan is just going to you know, stand around and let you be? Of course not. He's going to try to jump and he's going to try to um, fight against you. And we also learned that Satan hates man. He hates him with, you know, with a passion. We go to the third story which is the story of Jacob, the son of Isaac. And this is in Genesis 29. And the background here is that, as you remember the story, Jacob stole the blessing from his father Isaac before he died and he stole it from his his brother Esau because Esau was was the older and so he should have gotten the blessing. So when Esau found out, he vowed to kill Jacob, right? So Jacob flees from Esau And his mother tells him, go and stay with with my brother, Laban. So Laban is Jacob's uncle, right? So he seeks refuge with his uncle Jacob, uh, sorry, with his uncle Laban. So we read in, in, uh, in chapter 29, verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should be your wage be? So we can imagine, you know, Jacob stayed there for a while. Um, at the beginning, you know, Laban is, is hospitable and he's like, ahlan wa sahlan, welcome, we're happy to have you with us, right? And then after a while, he's like, okay, now, so you plan to stay here, so what are you gonna do, basically, right? Are you gonna work? How are you going to live among us, right? So he tells him, and, and it looks like as if he's trying to reward him, right? It looks like as if he cares about him, you know, just because you're my relative, you know, you're going to you're going to serve me for free. Tell me what you want and I'm going to give you uh, the the wages. But St. Paul um, warns us against this in Romans chapter six for the wages of sin is death. So we are not going to ever benefit from any wages that we are going to receive from Satan. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So Laban had two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Rachel was the younger one, Leah was the older one. Jake, uh, Jacob, he fell in love with Rachel. So he said, I will serve you 7 years for Rachel. So who's the one who is offering the the deal here? It's Jacob. He's saying, I will enslave myself to you for 7 years so that I may Mary Rachel and this is the the story of us enslaving ourselves to Satan so I'll tell you a, a story um a boy he his uh, his grandmother for his birthday she gave him a, a slingshot and he was very happy with the slingshot and he's going around you know using it and 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 you know throwing stones with the slingshot and and he's happy with it and on his way home he's he's using it and as he's you know, shooting his slingshot, he hit his, his grandmother's duck, and he kills the duck. Okay, So he's standing there. He's very upset. He killed his grandmother's duck. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? His sister sees him, and she runs out of the house, and she tells him, I know you're, you're sad and you're upset because you're, you killed grandma's duck, right? He says, "Yes, I don't. I don't know what to do," and she says, "Don't worry, I'll take care of everything. You just you follow my lead, and you won't be in trouble." So they go into the house, and um, like after dinner, they finish dinner, and the grandmother says uh, to the to the daughter, to the girl daughter, "Please, you know, put away the dishes." And the 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 daughter looks at her brother, and she says, "You put away the dishes." And he says, why? Grandma asked you to put away the dishes. She told him, remember the duck? I will not tell grandma if you put away the dishes, right? So he puts away the dishes. A few days later, grandma is going down to the market. And so she says, okay, I'm gonna go down to the market to buy some stuff, who would like to come with me? So the boy says, I would like to come with you, grandma. And the daughter says, no, you stay here. I will go with grandma to the market. And he says, why? And she says, "Remember the duck." And this kept on happening every day. Every time he wants to do something, she goes, "I'm going to do it. You just sit there." And he says, "Why?" She says, "Remember the duck. Remember the duck." So after a while, he was he was really you, you know burdened with with this um, with this pressure. And so he's he's had enough. He can't do anything because his sister is enslaving him with the duck. So he went to his grandmother and he said, grandma, she said, he said, she said, yes. And he said, I'm sorry, but I killed your duck. And she said, I know. When you killed the duck, I saw you. But I was waiting to see how long it's going to take for you to get from underneath you know, the, the, the thumb of your sister. You enslaved yourself to your sister. If you had come to me, when it first happened and said, I have sinned, I have killed the duck, I would have forgiven you and it would have been over. But instead, you chose to enslave yourself to your sister and she took advantage of you. This, my friends, is what we do every single day. We enslave ourselves to Satan for the sake of him not telling on us. But actually, God saw everything. He already saw the sin. He actually knew before we even committed the sin with his foreknowledge. So Satan is trying to pretend like he's helping us, but actually he's not doing anything. Let's remember the story of the duck and maybe that'll help us when we find ourselves in a situation where we have an option either to confess our sin or to enslave ourselves under the, 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 the thumb of Satan. We continue the story. <clears throat> now it came to pass, so after he served for seven years, after Jacob served for seven years, the seven years were completed. So now it's time for him to marry his, his beloved, Rachel, the one he's, he's been dreaming about for seven years. So it's the wedding night. Now it came to pass that he, he, being Laban, he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this? What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? So Laban switched the girls, right? He he served seven years to marry Rachel. On the wedding night, he's happy. He's drinking. Uh, he's not really knowing what's going on, but he's expecting that when he goes into the tent, he's gonna find Rachel. And then he goes into the tent. He sleeps with her, he wakes up in the morning and it's not Rachel, it's Leah. And so he goes to his, father, his father-in-law his father and says, why did you deceive me? And this is exactly what Satan does, he, the, the deception. He changes the reward, if he even gives us any reward at all to begin with. So what does Laban say? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me still another seven years. It's like, what? <laughs> Try to imagine this, that, that you agreed with somebody um, on, on a, you know, a specific uh, dowry or something to marry one of his daughters. Right. And then on the wedding night, he switches them and gives you another daughter. And then he says, well, I'm sorry, but you can't marry the older one before the younger one. I mean, you can't marry the younger one before the older one. But say, say from the beginning that this is what you want to do. No, deception. He's a deceiver and an enslaver. Actually, Laban is a very good businessman. Well, good is not the, the good word. He's an evil businessman. He figured out that if Jacob served him seven years basically for free in order to marry his daughter, his, 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 uh, his younger daughter, and he gave him the older one, he will, marry, he will work another seven years for free for the other one. So now he got 14 years of service out of him for free. This is how he was thinking. This is, by the way, exactly how Satan you know, thinks with, uh, with us. How can I enslave him more? How can I get more out of this person? He uses tricks. He uses uh, untruthfulness. He's a liar. And he's selling his daughters, if you think about it. Laban here, he's selling his daughters as slaves. so jacob works another seven years and he he marries rachel so now he's got two wives okay but who which one did he love he loved rachel right and so he didn't pay much attention to leah and so god saw that leah was you know um unloved and so he opened her womb meaning she was able to give birth to children but rachel because jacob only paid attention to Rachel and God wanted to teach him to be fair. So he did not open her womb, So she did not have any children. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob, no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld you who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb. What's happening here? Jacob is dwelling with Laban. Jacob is dwelling in the place of Satan. And so everything that's happening around him is wrong. And that's seeping into his family as well. So now the two sisters envy each other. Leah envies Rachel because her husband loves her more than her. And Rachel envies Uh, Leah because she has children and she doesn't have children and so she's actually suicidal now give me children or I'm gonna kill myself and then how does Jacob respond instead of you know being loving and taking her and trying to comfort her he's angry with her and he starts yelling at her and he starts to blaspheme am I in the place of God he's the one who withheld you from having children the whole family is breaking apart because they are dwelling with satan they are dwelling in the place of satan and this is the expected behavior right envy fighting strife depression cruelty blasphemy all of their kids grew in this evil atmosphere and if we look at the at the at the story of of all the children of of jacob all of them all of them without exception were evil people. When they took their brother and they uh, threw him in the pit and they sold him uh, to the Ishmaelites, um, we, we, we see in, in their story that his older son uh, goes and uh, sleeps with one of his father's concubines. We see that uh, Simeon and Levi, they go and destroy and kill all the men of, of one city, all of, the, all of his children were evil. And perhaps this is why God actually took Joseph away from this atmosphere. So when we, when we look at the story of Joseph and, and we see that God took him or, or that he was taken to Egypt and he became a slave in Egypt and he was imprisoned in Egypt and all of that, it looks like a bad story, right? But actually God took him away from all of this nonsense, from all of this confusion, from all of this bad atmosphere, this evil atmosphere, so that he can make him into a savior for his brothers later on. So finally, Rachel had a son, who's Joseph. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away. I want to leave now that I may go to my own place and my and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. When Joseph was born, Joseph was the son of the beloved Rachel. So Jacob felt that God finally blessed him. He gave him a blessing. So the son of blessing Joseph. So he wants to leave with this blessing. Again, He's been living in this evil atmosphere, and Jacob grew in a in a in a in a righteous atmosphere in his father's house, in Isaac's house, where he was worshiping God, where he was fasting, where he was offering sacrifices. But now he lives in this evil atmosphere where people are worshiping uh, pagan idols and um, having you know evil um, thoughts and and you know trickeries and all of that. So finally. You know, he he smelled or he felt the blessing of God when his son Joseph was born. And so he's like, I would like to go. I would like to leave now. But do you think that Satan will let him go? Do you think that Laban will let him go? Of course not. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes. Name your wages and I will give it to you. Anytime we try to pull away from Satan, he's not going to let us go. He's going to uh, try to bargain with us. And bargaining with Satan is never safe. We will never win, no matter what he tries or what he promises. And then what happened after this? And now we're in chapter 31. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he had acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban and indeed it was not favorable towards him as before. Even though Laban is the one that told him to stay, but because he wanted to leave, now there's hatred and there's envy. And Laban's sons started to say, he's the one who stole our inheritance. All of this should be ours. He stole it. He took it from us. And even Laban himself started to, uh, to hate um, Jacob. Finally, after all of this um, confusion and, and, and all of this um, uh, 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 evil that's going on, we finally hear the voice of God. When Jacob started to want to return, then God speaks to him. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Return to me, and I will return to you. God calls us every day to return to him. He wants us to come back. But many times we delay. Many times we ignore. Many times we say, I'm not ready. I don't want to go. I want to have a little bit more fun first. I want to take care of these things. I want to make a deal with the devil first. So finally, Jacob has made up his mind. He's going to leave no matter what. He's going to leave. He's not going to stay there anymore. But there is a problem. His two wives, Leah and Rachel, are the daughters of Laban. So are they going to be okay that they leave with him and go into a foreign country that they don't know? So he talks to them in the field and tells them that I would like to leave. And what do you think? Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. The daughters of Laban, they saw that their father didn't care about them. He just sold them as slaves. He used them to gather money. And so they didn't care to stay with him anymore. Because Satan never cares even about his followers. He abuses them, he consumes them because he doesn't care for them. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled all that so he fled with all that he had. Finally, Jacob is like, That's it. I am done. I'm not even going to stand there and argue with him anymore. I'm not gonna even bargain with him anymore. I'm going to take my family and I'm going to leave. And that's it. And that's the smartest thing that Jacob did in in this whole thing. This time he ran, he did not bargain. He did not debate, he did not talk. Just took his stuff, took his people, took his family and he he uh, flee for his life. Of course, Laban is not going to let this go. So he pursued him. So Laban overtook Jacob and said, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives? Oh, really? Taken with the sword, as if Jacob took the sword and he threatened his wives and said, you better come with me or I'm going to kill you. For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters look look at the hypocrisy look at you know like if if you were standing there seeing this you w- you wouldn't be able to stop yourself from laughing at this guy right he is com- a complete hypocrite a complete deceiver everything that he's done for the past 20 plus years to Jacob and to his family and to his own daughters. And now he's saying, you did not let me kiss them. You, didn't, you took them as captives. I would have sent you away with songs and with joy. Of course, this is all what blatant deception that he is um, providing. Not only that, then he threatens Jacob. It is in my power to do you harm. I can kill you, right? It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. This man, he's just a bully and he's a murderer. He is threatening to kill Jacob, even though God told him and warned him last night, you better not do anything to Jacob. And still he's threatening him. This is, this is Satan, completely, 100%. Even though he knows that if he does anything, he'll be in big trouble. He's still threatening and and, and um, bullying. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? What happened there is that Rachel on her way out, she took the idols of her father with her. And so Laban, came back, he he couldn't find the idols and he pursued Jacob knowing that somebody stole his idols. Okay. But here the, the, the point that we want to focus on is why did you steal my gods? And this is a reprimand for all of us. We long for God's house, but we keep the idols with us, right? We want to go to church. We want to pray. We want to fast but we still keep idols with us. We keep our desires, we keep our thoughts, we keep our bad habits that we learned in the house of Satan. We take the idols that we used to worship in the house of Satan with us into the church. And here the reprimand is, if you want to go to church, if you long for your father's house, why do you take these idols with you? You need to leave them behind. Even though this reprimand came from Laban, but it's, it's very powerful reprimand for us to keep in mind that when we long for the house of God, we must reject and we must leave behind all of the idols that, that we were uh, bound to in the house of Satan. So the characteristics of Satan that we learned today from the king of Sodom, we saw that Satan is the king of sin, He's the tempter, he's the, he despises victory, he offers pride and mammon, and he's a soul's thief. From the story of Isaac in the person of Abimelech, we learned that Satan takes advantage of us. He envies what we have, he fights our virtues, and he hates us. And from the story of Jacob in the person of Laban, we learn that Satan is a deceiver, he's a trickster, He teaches us godless behavior, and anybody who stays with him will learn this behavior. He's very envious of anything that we have, and he wants to take it away from us. He's a bully, and he's a murderer, and glory be to God forever. Amen. Are there any questions? Okay um so let's pray uh, sharif if you would please uh, pray for us
1: thank you guys um in the name of the far Son, and the holy spirit and god i mean thank you god for, for bringing us together for learning more more uh, about you about how to get closer to you thank you, god for giving us for letting us know how how our enemy is working how and how he's trying to deceive us and how what he's aiming for aiming to separate us from you. Give us to God to not, not to not be separated from you, to always be with you, to, to always see, uh, see, uh, seek you, seek and to, le- and to learn, and, le- and to know how to, le- how to love Him, to know how you love us so much. Keep us in uh, the spirit, keep us in the Through the praise of St. Mary and St. Paul, here is when we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those trespass against us, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, with the hand, the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever, amen. Thank you, Gergis, for, for being with us here.
0: Thank you, Sharif, and thank you, everybody, for
1: uh, your attention. We're not going to have any uh, activities tonight, guys. So uh, it's going to be a good night here. Good night. Good night.